Hello and welcome to the Grace Point Henderson Podcast. My name is Parker, and I serve as the lead pastor at Grace Point Church in Henderson, Kentucky. This message is from our sermon series, Living Hope, from the book of 1 Peter. This message is an exposition of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Grace Point Henderson Podcast. say bless the Lord. If you say, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Well, good morning and welcome again. If you have your Bibles, turn them on. Turn them to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue in our series together. Uh, last week we looked at verses 1 and 2. We kind of did that in a, in a differing order. Uh, we looked at 3 through 5 first and went back to 1 and 2. But this morning we're going to kind of get back on track looking at verses 6 through 9. And if you remember last week, we talked about uh, this, this highlighting the fulfillment of Christ, this better covenant, this better people, a better land, ultimately a better hope in Jesus Christ. You remind, remind us real quickly of uh, Peter's audience, a primarily Gentile audience that is going through Christian persecution. It is specifically Christian, not necessarily empire-wide, but it is nonetheless uh, Christian persecution. They are being persecuted and suffering because of their faith in Christ. Probably not to the point of death, uh, but certainly having some verbal mistreatment, some harsh words being said, being treated differently. Peter is pointing them to a future reality that's coming in order to encourage them of a greater hope that's coming to live as citizens of there, as citizens of heaven rather than citizens of this earth, finding their hope in Christ and in, and in what he brings through his resurrection rather than placing our hope in this world. And so he says this, he says, you've been chosen in Christ, you have also been called to suffer. We talked about that uh, last week, and joining Christ's suffering, all of this, uh, Peter likely knows that suffering will likely get worse, and history would tell us that it would. And so he's encouraging and reminding them of who they are in Christ, that God has called them out uh, to, to be his elect exiles in this world, uh, to, and chosen in Christ, but also called to suffer and join Christ in his suffering. And so this morning, I want to uh, focus our attention on First Peter verses 6 through 9. And so let's read this text together, and uh, we will uh, draw some application and some points this morning. I want to encourage you again uh, to get your Bibles, turn them on, turn them to First Peter, read this text with us. We're going to use this text and kind of go back and forth and spring off some, some, some phrases and words that are being used here. And so it's important that you have your Bibles open, that you have your text uh, there, that you can see it um, and, and see, thus says the Lord. But First Peter chapter 1, 6 through 9, this is what the Word of God says. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and that you would give us ears to hear. Father, and that your Son, above all things, would be exalted. As we've already prayed and as Ryan has mentioned, I pray that Christ would be seen in this text and that he would go before us and make a way 
as only He can. And by Your Spirit, I pray that You would help us to hear Your Word and receive Your Word and to obey Your Word in all of our lives. And we'll thank You in advance. In Christ's name, Amen. I'd like to call our attention this morning to a number of things, but my aim, nonetheless, is the same. It is like waves in the ocean, so to speak. I would just want to time and time again, as we bring up these truths, I just want to keep landing and pushing Christ to the surface. And so if I sound like a broken record, uh, know that it's not broken. Uh, but I am convinced of a greater reality that Christ himself was broken and he is worthy of exaltation. He is worthy of our praise this morning. He is worthy being mentioned uh, numerous times uh, as we go through this text. And I believe the text continues to point us to this reality. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see, number one, there is joy in trial. There is joy in trial. If you notice the way Peter begins his argument here, he says, in this and if you were with us on Wednesday nights and you kind of learn how we study the Scripture here, we ask questions of the text. And so when I see in this, I ask a question, in what? Is Peter pointing forward to trials or is he pointing back to something that he's mentioned before? And obviously it seems that he is pointing, he's borrowing back from a previous argument that he's made in verses 3 through 5. And by doing so, I believe, is also pointing forward here by implication. And I think it's worth mentioning again uh, what we mentioned just a couple of weeks ago. Namely, that God has caused us to be born again of this living hope that we have, of this resurrection of Jesus Christ, of this glorious inheritance that is guarded, is being kept, and is ready to be revealed. Peter says, in this, rejoice. In other words, the truth about Jesus has changed everything and certainly about your outlook in life and in here, your trials that will come as well. He said all of this should cause us to rejoice even if you've been grieved by various trials. The word grieve there it literally means to be sorrow-filled or to be sad. I know I know all of us can identify with what it means to be sad or to be let down or maybe you've been punched in the gut. The same word is used to describe a man that you might recall in the gospel of Matthew chapter 19. He was a young man who happened to be rich and maybe even a ruler. We know, call him the rich young ruler. And life was grand. It was all awesome. And in great optimism, he comes to Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you keep the commandments. To which he says, Well, that's good. Which, which ones did you have in mind? And Jesus says to him, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's good news because I've done all those things, this rich young ruler says. Anything else, Jesus? And Jesus says to him in Matthew 19, 21, he says, Jesus says, he says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me, he said. In account of hearing this, this young man went away sorrow-filled. That's what the scripture says. Same word that's used there. Because he had great possessions. It's like being on the brink of having your greatest dreams come true only to be crushed by heartache. 
The disciples would recall this in Matthew 17, verses 23, when Jesus calls them together and he says, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And the disciples' reactions was that they were greatly distressed. Same word that's used there is used here in 1 Peter. And I think the most telling example of this word, I think Peter maybe even had in mind, is after the denial of Christ, Peter's threefold denial of Christ, Jesus comes to him in John 21 after they had finished eating breakfast. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, watch this, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved. Same word. Because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? Christian, when was the last time that you've experienced crushing sorrow like this? To the point of grief, not because of sin, but because of your faith in Christ. Perhaps, yes, we have all felt sorrow. We have all know this similar experience. But maybe sometimes it's happened to us because it's that of Peter. Because it was something that of our own failure that has brought about our great sorrow. Maybe it's like the rich young ruler. We just didn't get the news that we had hoped for, and so we're sorrow-filled. But Peter says these Gentiles have been grieved in a different way. They have felt sorrow in a different way. They have felt sorrow because they have, they have been tempted and they have suffered various trials, not because of any wrong that they have done on their account, but because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so maybe a better question to ask us, Christian, is would we have faith to respond to this type of sorrowful grief with joy? Would we respond in the way that Peter is encouraging these Christians to respond, namely with joy? Because this is the example of Christ and the path in which Peter tells us that we have the privilege now of walking in. In 1 Peter 2, he says, For you have been called to this, because Christ has also suffered, leaving an example for you that you may follow in his steps. And Peter's aim is when this soul-wrenching, faith-stealing test and trials come your way, that they might be met with joy. And that's a consistent theme in the New Testament as well. You see this, a striking similarity of this text here in James chapter 1, when James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And this type of rejoicing, I believe Peter is arguing here, is that if you know this gospel, if you know this, if it's in this, if you have been born again, if you know this living hope, if you know Jesus, he'll say in verse 8, then rejoice. Jesus echoes that as well. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christian, is your joy full? even in suffering. And we'll come back to this later and what he means, but Peter means that this rejoicing would produce something. It would lead to something. Note the language in point number two. Faith will have fruit. Faith will produce fruit. 
you note in the book of James that we just quoted. Note the language that James continues in. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, when it has its full effect, that it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the same logic that Peter is bringing us here as well. Note the language that faith is producing something. Look at 1 Peter verses 6 through 8. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Watch this. So that, so that the testing of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory. And honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see what Peter did. He points us twice to a causal reality for our rejoicing. The purpose of your rejoicing in the midst of your trials. Even though they may be grievous as they are. Is so that something. So that the tested genuineness of your faith. And he points us to an example of the purification of gold. And I'm sure you've probably heard preachers talk about the purification process and it's placed into the fire to remove any purifications. That anything less pure will be destroyed and shown to be counterfeit. And that's the word that Peter uses there. This word for tested genuineness literally means to be found not having any fault or to be counterfeit. It's the genuineness of your faith, like gold, does not reduce to ashes. Instead, it endures. But Peter continues, not only that, he says, your faith, it is so much more precious than gold. It is more lasting. And two, he says, that it may be found to result in. That this rejoicing in this, this rejoicing in this, so that when it is tested, it is shown to be genuine. The result now is this. These triads that Peter likes to bring about, it says the praise and glory and honor. Literally, the approval, the high honor, and the showing of supreme value. That is what your faith and endurance is producing he says it, it brings forth, it should produce the fruit of praise, Peter says. Not the praise of me, but praise of Christ. It should produce the fruit of glory. Not my glory, but the glory of Christ. And it should produce fruit that reveals what is most precious to me. And it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. In these trials, yes, they have been grievous, but I have kept my joy so that even in testing, my faith would be proven genuine and the, and the end result would be that Christ is magnified. He is exalted and he is seen as precious to me. This is what the psalmist had in mind in Psalm 73. Who am I of heaven but you and on earth there is no one I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Peter is saying, Jesus is it. He is all that you have here. Is that you this morning, beloved? Is Jesus your treasure? Is he who you cling to now when life is easy? And Peter is pointing them to this reality that even when life gets difficult, cling to Jesus. He is all that you have. Jesus is it. And it should produce fruit even in the midst of your trials. 
that you reveal that your hope and your treasure to be put on display that Christ will be honored and treasured and praised and seen as precious to you. So he continues to speak in the way that he does logically because it is resulting in pointing to Christ. Note the language in verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. It's about Jesus. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and with and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I want you to see number three, the triumph of Christ, the triumph of Christ. Peter says first. In the past tense, I think it'll come up on the screen as well. Though you have not seen him, past tense, you love him. He continues then in the present tense, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory. You don't see what Peter did here again. He brought about another triad. He says, you love him, you believe in him, and you rejoice in him. In speaking of loving Christ, Peter means that we would have an earnest, unashamed affection for Christ. That we would be passionately in love with Jesus. And though we have not seen him, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen, yet they believed. Though we have not yet seen him, we love him. And yes, we can certainly see him being revealed through the word of God and through the scripture. But we have a love for Christ, Peter says, number one. And secondly, he says that you believe in him. Peter is aiming at something much more than just some superficial, I can affirm the doctrines of Christianity. I believe instead he is most certainly has that in mind, but also, as I'll argue in just a moment, he is pointing us to the work of God in Christ and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe more contextually, this reliance upon him and trusting him that will endure even through trials. You believe him, you cling to him, you have trust in him, you believe his gospel no matter what. That's the point Peter is making here. And then finally, you rejoice All of them are in the present tense here. Loving, believing, rejoicing. It's a continuous action. It's an action that is taking place now and will continue into the future. But he says you should rejoice in this. And that you see that you are enjoying Jesus and that you are filled with exuberance and inexpressible joy even in the midst of trial. When Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile against you and persecute you and utter all types of evil things against you falsely on my account, blessed and be glad for your reward is in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter points us to this reality again in 1 Peter 4. He says, beloved, don't be surprised when fiery trials come and when you are put to the test as something strange is happening to you. But instead rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
Why in the world would we rejoice? Why would we rejoice? Peter is pointing us to this reality that Jesus Christ has won. And because he has won, because Christ is triumphant, we can rejoice even in the midst of suffering and even in the midst of trial because of the triumph of Jesus Christ. Peter is preaching in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2. And in doing so, he quotes from Psalm 16, the same psalm that we prayed through on Wednesday night. And Peter says this, he says, For concerning David, and now he quotes in verse 25, Psalm 16, 9 and 10, I saw the Lord, he's quoting David, saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You make me full of gladness with your presence. Now Peter is going to expound on what David meant when he wrote that. Brothers, I also say with you with confidence about the patriarch David, that though he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us today, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on a throne, he foresaw, Peter says, and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, because this Jesus... God raised him up, and I am a witness. We are all a witness to that. Peter is pointing them to the good news of Jesus Christ. And because of what Jesus has done, there is victory. And because of what Christ has accomplished, we need not fear. He will not abandon us. He will save us. He will secure us. And we have hope in what Christ has done because Christ is victorious. And can I just ask you a question this morning? What is it that the point of all this is? And by this, I mean life. What is at the end of all of this? What is awaiting for you on the other side of death? Because David was saying, you won't abandon me. You won't forsake me, God. But what is waiting on the other side of this life? And I can tell you, as one who lost a mother at a very early age, I thought about death a great, great deal when I was younger. I was probably thinking about this way before any of my friends have ever considered the thought and the reality of death, 11 years old, thinking about what happens after you die because death had become painfully close and it had come near and I saw the reality of death that something is beyond this. And I know that's not a thought that we like to think about, but the truth is, is that that is the question at some point. What comes after this? And I would lay awake and I would literally be haunted by the reality of eternity, of not being able to wrap my mind around the thought of existence going on and on forever and ever and ever. And the great horror of my life that never even crossed my mind. It wasn't that, although this was a great horror, that it would go on and on and on. That wasn't the greatest horror. And in my ignorance, though I thought eventually I might just be annihilated or just cease to exist, but still may have some form of consciousness or state of mind and somehow, and would just keep going on for all of eternity. No, there was a greater horror that was lurking. 
And I would always try to put this out of my mind when it would come up. But the reality is, is that one day, beloved, one day we will all stand before a holy God and we will give an account and we will be judged according to our sin. And we will be judged rightly in that moment. And the great horror is that in my sin, I was to stand before this holy God. And he would execute the judgment that was deserving of me. And I know no one wants to ever consider this reality. It's like the thing we never want to talk about or think about. But there is a reality to this. And so it's worth for us to consider this morning. That you have sinned against a holy God and you are and will stand guilty before him deserving condemnation. Because you are and I am as well a sinner by birth. The scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That through our forefather Adam sin has spread to all men. Therefore all have sinned. We are sinners by birth. We're also sinners by choice. We have reviled against God. We have willingly disobeyed him. It's not that I was just born into sin. I too have chosen to follow after my own way and reject what the Lord has called me to do. I've gone my own way, but I'm also a sinner by my action. I will stand before him guilty. And because of this, scripture says that I'm under a curse. And that in my sin, I deserve punishment. I deserve condemnation. It is my guilt that I will bear in my flesh. And I can blame it on no one else. I must blame it all on myself. It is my sin. I was a sinner by birth, by choice. And yes, I am guilty of sinful action. And I deserve death and condemnation. I deserve His wrath. I deserve His punishment. And what Peter is pointing us to is that through Christ, in Christ alone, he is suffering on your behalf to redeem you and reconcile you. And so that when you stand before God, though you are sinful, though you are sin-filled, the righteousness of Christ has been given to you. And he who knew no sin became sin for you. So that in him you might become the righteousness of God. Do you know the pardon that Christ brings? Have you been rescued from your sin? Have you been rescued from your condemnation and perishing? John 3.16, this is the way in which God loved the world. God was loving the world in that he did not want to condemn them. He gave them instead his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We deserve to perish. We deserve condemnation. But the scripture says that if we believe in Christ, we should not perish, but have everlasting life. He continues, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Even though we deserve condemnation, he sent Christ not to condemn us, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Have you trusted in this gospel? Have you trusted in this good news? Because Peter is saying that these Christians, you have believed this gospel. You have loved this Savior. You have believed in his gospel. You are now rejoicing in his victory, obtaining the outcome of your souls. Verse 9, you have been delivered and Peter says, I am a witness and I can testify to the validity of Christ's victory. He is triumphant. 
Yet you have not seen Him, and you love Him. You don't see Him now, but you believe and you rejoice, for you know of His conquering. And so when trials come, let them come. And the worst that can happen to you, Christian, is that they kill you. And even then, you win because Christ is victorious. He has not and He will not abandon your soul to Sheol. So that in trials, I rejoice. In trials, we can rejoice, Christian. And I'm not rejoicing because I like it, per se. We can rejoice because of Christ. Peter says rejoice because in this. If I were to just to focus on the trials and sufferings of my life, just being honest, they stink. They grieve me. They bring about grievous trials, various trials that have grieved me. But they don't grieve me to the point of despair. Instead, I rejoice in this. I rejoice in a greater reality that more than that, I rejoice in Him. I rejoice in Christ. Realizing that ultimately your joy, Christian, when trials come, and they will come, your joy is found in Christ. Joy in the midst of trials is not found in your circumstances. Your joy will be found in a person. Your joy will not be found in circumstances. Your joy must be found in Christ. And what amazingly good news that Peter is calling us to unite in. That even in grievous trials, Christian, you get the joy and God gets the glory, the praise and honor that is due to him because his son is victorious. Point number four. Wrapping all of this up, Peter is pointing us to Eternal perspectives. Peter, in conclusion, points us to rejoice in this by aligning our perspective. Note the language. Watch what he does here. In this, you rejoice. Though now, for a little while, so it's just a short time, just for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that In other words, in the little while and these trials come, it has a purpose. And the purpose is that so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found. There it is again. It is working towards something, in other words. It may be found. The goal is this, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome, there it is, of your faith, the salvation, again, of your souls. And I think I can just say simply at this point is that when Jesus comes, he will bring something greater than merely an end to our sufferings. I'll say that again. When Christ comes, he will bring something greater than merely an end to our suffering. And when you go through trials, Christian, you need to be reminded of this reality is that there is an outcome. There is a salvation that is coming. There is a reward that is coming. These two scriptures will come up on the screen. Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4. This is what Paul says 
in the book of Romans. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's a glory that's coming. 2 Corinthians 4, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not just an end of trials. There's glory coming. There's glory to be revealed. And, and, and Christian, know this, that every ounce of pain, every ounce of suffering that you are doing for the sake of Christ is being counted. For Scripture says that He collects our tears in His bottle, Psalm 56, 8. And he says to the elders, Peter says, there is a coming crown of glory that does not fade. And last week or two weeks ago, he says, there is an inheritance that's coming that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's not just the end of trials. There is a reward that's coming. There is a reward that is waiting and coming. Some will say, well, you shouldn't talk about rewards, to which I just say, it is right to talk about the reward because the Bible speaks that way. There is a reward and it's not meaningless. And you've got to know that when sufferings come, they aren't meaningless. They're working an eternal weight of glory. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is greater in heaven. Second Timothy 4. Paul says this, for I am being already poured out as a drink offering at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Watch what he says in verse 8. Hence, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved His appearing. There is a reward that is coming, and Scripture begins to speak about this crown of life, and that suffering is producing something, and your suffering is not meaningless. It will be rewarded. And that reward, as we continue to search, what is that reward? Peter points us to that that reward is union with Christ. The reward is nothing more and yet nothing less than Christ himself. Jesus is our reward. And so Peter says, your reward is not found in tangible things, but in a tangible person. It is found in Christ. Beloved, don't be surprised when fiery trials come upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. The Apostle Paul echoes it in Colossians 3. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Christ is your life. And when he appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And Christian, when trials come your way, and I know that it can be difficult, I know that it can be tough, and yes, they are grievous, yes, you are being tested, and your faith is shown to be proven to be authentic. No, Christian, that one day, all of it will be worth it. 
and that every drop of pain will be considered and it will not be wasted. It is not meaningless. It is working an eternal weight of glory. And though, yes, you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe, you still believe, you still rejoice. And Peter says, rejoice and keep on rejoicing and keep on rejoicing and keep on rejoicing because one day you will see Him And in that moment, it will all be worth it. And every ounce of pain will be considered worth it all because Christ is worth it all. Your reward is coming. And it's not so much about what you'll get as about who you will get. And it's Christ and it's more of Christ. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. Praise God that your faith, though it has been tested, will one day give way to sight and you will see with your eyes the Savior in whom you have trusted and believed in. And your living hope, you will see Him face to face. And it will, oh, be so worth it. But until then, Christian, know that you are sharing, Peter says, you are partaking in Christ's sufferings even now. And the joy and the bliss that you know that is coming, Peter says, it's already yours. It's a present rejoicing. It's already yours in Christ. The joy that you look forward to, you already have. You're sharing with Jesus now. And the peace of Christ is ruling in your heart. You don't have to wait for it. It is yours in Christ. And in this way, and in only this way, you can rejoice even in the midst of various And grievous trials in your life. It's because of Christ. And being found in Him. And one day, beloved, soon. And I believe very soon. Your life and union with Christ will be a better union. And the hope that you now have. And the hope that you cling to. You will see face to face. It's good news, beloved. And for the non-Christian listening, are you looking for hope this morning? Are you looking for a hope that endures in all the difficulties and seasons of life, even in the midst of trials? I just want to encourage you, that is only found in Jesus. Have you trusted in Christ and Christ alone for salvation? Won't you come and trust Christ? Won't you repent of your sin while there's still time? Because one day, your opportunity will run out. And you will stand before the righteous judge and you will give an account. And if you stand before him based on your own merit, you will be condemned. You need the merit and righteousness of another. And that is only found in the hope of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, his sacrifice in your place. Have you trusted in his gospel? Have you believed in the good news? Can you say with Peter, I rejoice in this. I rejoice in this gospel. Would you repent and believe the good news today? For it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes.
I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I know that we're not meeting face to face. But I would love to talk with you more about what it means to repent and believe the gospel. If that's you this morning and you would like to repent of your sin and trust Christ, I just encourage you to send us a message. I'd encourage you to send us a message on Facebook or you can shoot me an email, parkeratgracepointhenderson.com. If you don't have the words, I'll give them to you. Just say, I repent, I believe. I know what that means and I will gladly discuss with you more about what it means to follow Jesus and walk with him for the rest of your days. I want to pray for us. And then we'll respond together. Let's pray. Father, I do pray. Well, as always, thanks for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast. For more information about Grace Point Church, go to gracepointhenderson.com. And if you live in the Henderson, Kentucky area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10, 15 a.m. For all of our listeners, be sure to click the subscribe button so you'll never miss an episode of the Grace Point Henderson podcast.